0: I want to start a new sermon series called Christmas at the Movies. Would you say that with me? Christmas at the Movies. Amen. Say it really loud. Christmas at the Movies. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, we're going to explore some movies at church. Come on, tell your neighbors, we're going to explore some movies at church. Amen. So as we prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God, I want you to open up, your heart and I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and I believe what the Holy Spirit wants to say to me as well because I'm certainly not exempt from anything that I'm telling you today I am also uh, a hear of the word and I want to be changed and I want to grow and I want to learn just as much as you do so uh, before I preach it to you certainly I have to preach it to myself so we're going to start a sermon series today called Christmas at the movies we're going to uh, look at a different Christmas movie starting today and ending on the 22nd alright so for the next three Sundays we're going to explore Christmas at the movies and hopefully this is an opportunity for you to bring somebody to church especially on December the 15th December the 15th is our Christmas service so uh, we're, we're excited about what God is doing I'm reminding you because I'm challenging you to invite somebody Uh, On the 14th, bring them to the Christmas outreach, bring them to church on the 15th. But let's really all together as a church get in one mind and one accord. And let's really invite somebody and bring somebody and let's minister to people that weekend. All right. So have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that Christmas seems to get earlier and earlier every year? Come on, how many would raise your hand and say, I agree with you, pastor? It seems as though that Christmas gets earlier and earlier every year. When I was growing up, you didn't really start celebrating Christmas until after Thanksgiving. But now we live in a society that seems to celebrate Christmas right at the first of October. If you'll notice something, if you go to Cracker Barrel, they're putting their Christmas stuff up on October number one. And not only that, but they're also, you you turn on the radio or you listen to music on uh, different stations, they have Christmas music playing even in October. It's really crazy how our society keeps moving Christmas up earlier and it puts a pressure on us To start celebrating Christmas way before we think we're ready to celebrate it or before we think it's appropriate. How many would raise your hand and say, I agree with you, Pastor Josh? Now, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of buildup before Christmas. We have Christmas parties, we have cooking, we have shopping, there's decorating, there's concerts, there's plays, there's religious services, and we do all of that in anticipation of that one big day called December the 25th. And listen, church, listen, I'm not going to make you feel bad for celebrating early. There's certainly nothing wrong with celebrating early the season of Christmas. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do believe, now listen to my heart, I really do believe that we can lose the significance of the Christmas season if we just rush into it. If we rush into it, we'll lose the significance of the Christmas season. Now, to help us to have a proper perspective about Christmas, and I want you just for a few moments to put on your thinking cap, because as a pastor... My responsibility is not just to make you feel good all the time. My responsibility is to make sure that you learn biblical truth, all right, and to have a Christian worldview. That's my responsibility, is to feed you, to protect you, and to lead you. And so for a few moments, I want you to put on your thinking cap, and I want you to think with me just for a few moments. It won't be long. I just inserted this before I talk about a movie. I wanted to insert this because I wanted to challenge you To think a little bit and not just be so hyped up because we're excited about the season or I said something to make you shout. I want you to think this morning to have a proper perspective about Christmas and for in order for us to have a proper perspective that we don't rush into it and lose the significance of what Christmas means. One of the things that I have learned is that the church, the early church, has developed what we call the liturgical church calendar. Now, I know that's a big word for you, but I told you I want you to think, all right? It's called the liturgical church calendar. Most of Christianity celebrates it or adheres to it. And if you're not aware of it, you still celebrate it because you celebrate Christmas and you celebrate Easter and Pentecost. So you're aware of it. You may not know the terms of it, but the early church developed what we call the liturgical church calendar. Now, what is the church calendar? The church calendar is a cycle of seasons To be observed by the church, it's to be observed by the church and these seasons emphasize scriptural truth about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now you and I are familiar of a calendar, January through December, well the Church of Jesus has a calendar and it's inserted in those 12 months. There are certain seasons that we should observe to tell us about the story and the person and the work of Jesus Christ to remind us of the story. Now why do we need to be reminded of these stories? So that we can tell future generations of these stories. That is why we have holidays. The word holiday comes from a word which means holy day and the reason that we have holy days or holidays is so that we can tell the story to the next generation if we don't tell the story to the next generation then Christianity is in will be in extinction it will be extinct in a few years if we stop telling the story now maybe you have heard the story year after year maybe you have heard the story year after year all your life but that doesn't mean that five-year-old has heard the story That doesn't mean the 10-year-old has heard the story. That doesn't mean everybody has told the story. And that is why we preach every week. We preach sermons every week. Preachers preach every week. What are we doing? We're telling the story, the ancient story of Christianity. I am a storyteller. I am a preacher telling a story. And we are to tell the story from one generation to another generation. So the church calendar was designed for the church to be reminded that you need to tell the story to the next generation. If you look at the church calendar, the church calendar starts like this. The beginning of the church calendar starts with Advent. Everybody shout with Advent. Everybody say Advent. It comes from a word which means coming, coming, all right? That is four Sundays before Christmas. And the purpose of Advent is for you to prepare your heart for the coming of Jesus. The next thing that's on the list is what we call Christmas. Everybody say Christmas. Christmas, C H R I S T M A S. M A S is the word for Mass, which is two definitions for Mass to send out or to give thanks. So you put the words together and Christmas is the sending forth of Jesus or the thanksgiving of Jesus. All right. And the Christmas season is to be observed between December the 25th and January the 5th. And that's where you get the 12 days of Christmas on the first day of Christmas on the second. You know, the song that's the 12 days of Christmas. Have you ever watched the story? It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. And did you notice that uh, what's the man's name? What's What's his name? Bailey. Is his name Bailey? Well, you, you know, remember Bailey and his, his wife especially, they decorated the tree on Christmas Eve. They decorated the house on Christmas Eve because Christmas was a 12-day celebration. And they never celebrated it like we are celebrating it now. Christmas was during twelve days, and you usually went to church on Christmas Day. That's the history of how the church celebrated Christmas. It was called the Feast of the Nativity, and later it was changed to Christmas or Christmas, all right? The Thanksgiving of Christ or the sending forth of Christ. So on the fifth day of Christmas is called Epiphany is the day that we celebrate the wise men coming to the house bringing gifts to the child Jesus all right the 12th day of Christmas so the sec- the third thing on the calendar is called what we call lent lent now contrary to popular opinion it is not a catholic thing the word lent means spring you prepare yourself for easter 40 days of prayer and reflection about the passion and the suffering of Jesus, all right? Some denominations have corrupted the idea, but you get the idea. It was a preparation for celebration of Easter. Why did they do that? Because the early church wanted you to be in the story and not just read the story. Lent was a time of dying to yourself, while Easter was a time of resurrection, So instead of you just reading the story of Jesus dying and resurrected, they wanted you to die to yourself so that on Easter Sunday morning, you also can receive a resurrection. Amen. So you're just not reading about it. You experience it. The next thing that was on the list is what we call Pentecost. And that's the celebration of the Holy Spirit coming on the church and baptizing the church with the spirit. And then we call what is called ordinary time. And during ordinary time, the church is supposed to preach and teach about the parables of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the life and teachings of Jesus. So the, what is emphasized in the church calendar? His birth, his passion, his death, his suffering, the coming of the Holy Spirit, preparation for Easter, and also ordinary time where you learn about the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so the church calendar starts today. It is what we call Advent. Advent. We. This is the first Sunday of Advent, not the Christmas season. It's the first Sunday of Advent. Christmas starts December the 25th. And the reason that this is important, because I believe it's so important for you to understand this, because I don't just celebrate holidays just to celebrate it. I want it to be a spiritual reflection and spiritual growth in my life. I want to learn something from it instead of just going to religious services and reading stories. I want to put myself in the story and I want the Holy Spirit to shape me and mold me and make me so that I could become more like Jesus in the Christmas season. This starts the first Sunday of Advent. What is Advent? Advent is the word for coming or the preparation of coming or the preparation of Jesus Christ coming to earth. Advent is four Sundays before Christmas, and it teaches us to wait in anticipation for the arrival of Jesus and also teaches us that to look forward to his second coming. Now, why is this important? And, you know, December the 25th is Christmas. and and, and I'm not saying that you can't listen to Christmas music. I'm not saying you can't decorate early. We certainly decorate early. That's totally irrelevant to what I'm trying to say. You can decorate, you can eat, you can celebrate as early as you want to, but there's a spiritual principle that I want you to get a hold of. I asked you a few moments ago to put on your thinking cap. I asked you a few moments ago, I want you to think and stretch yourself. I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you this morning, and today is Advent, and Christians have celebrated this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, So, and it's been a practice of the church, and I want it to be a practice of your life. Why do we celebrate Advent? Why is this important? You know why this is important? Why did I say all of this? Well, number one, Advent is waiting for his coming. We're waiting for Jesus to appear at Bethlehem, but we're also waiting for Jesus to appear at his second coming. Christmas is the celebration of his arrival, while Advent is is the preparation that he comes. We're waiting that he comes. We're anticipating that he comes. We're reading the stories of the prophets, how the prophets foretold the coming of the birth of the Messiah. We read the stories of how Jesus would come and deliver uh, his people from bondage and deliver Israel. We're, We're reminiscing the stories of waiting on the Messiah. Then on Christmas Day, we celebrate that he has come. Now, why is this important? It's important because, in other words, if God's promise was true, if God's promise, if God kept his word that he would come the first time, then Christmas is a reminder that God is a promise keeper. If he kept his word that he would come the first time, let us be reminded that he shall come a second time. That is why it's important. That is why it's important. Christmas teaches us, now listen to pastor, Christmas teaches us this, the prophets for hundreds of years waited for the coming of a Messiah. For hundreds of years, the prophets waited and anticipated for a Messiah to come and bring deliverance and bring peace. They waited for it. You remember what the Bible says in the book of Luke? Anna, the prophetess, Simon was in the temple. And what were they doing? They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for the Christ child to be born. They were waiting for the deliverer to come. And what are we to do before Christmas? We are to be reminded that if God had the prophets to wait and he fulfilled his word and came, then Christmas is a reminder that God keeps his word. He came the first time, he said to the prophets he was going to come, and he came. And it's a reminder that as we wait now in this dispensation, we already know he already came the first time, but now we are waiting not for him to be born in Bethlehem, we are now waiting for this baby to appear in the eastern sky and to catch his church away We are waiting again. Did you hear me? We are waiting again. Just like the prophets. Just like the prophets waited for a Messiah to be born. We too, in this dispensation, is waiting. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for him to appear. The prophets waited, but they waited for his arrival on earth, to him to come to earth. But now we are waiting for Jesus to appear again. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. Advent looks back to the first coming of Christ at Bethlehem. And it looks forward to the future where Christ will come again. It is the period between these two events that we find the meaning of our life as a Christian. BC and AD. His coming. Now, as we wait, church, as we wait these four Sundays in Advent, you know what we're going to do? We're going to read the stories of the Bible. And we're going to find out how people waited. We're going to find out what happened before he arrived. We're going to look at the stories of how people anticipated the coming of Jesus. How they longed for him to come. How the prophets saw in the Spirit how somebody would be born of a virgin. And they would name him Emmanuel, for God is with us. How they waited in the temple, Anna and Simon, waited longed for a day. That their peace and deliverer would come and the consolation of Israel would come. They waited. And it's no wonder that Anna, where Simon, when he saw the baby, the Bible says he picked up the baby. And He looked at the baby and said, "Now, Lord, let me die, for my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel." He waited and waited and waited until he arrived, until Christmas came. Christmas teaches us that sometimes you've got to wait. Christmas teaches us that we've got to wait, not for his appear, not for his appearing at a manger in Bethlehem. He's already come, but it teaches us that we are to wait again for his second. Appearing, And I want to make sure you know this loud and loud, very clear that as a church, we believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. We believe that the scripture is true, infallible, indispensable, inerrant. And if God said it, then you can take it to the bank. It's going to come to pass. And Jesus, the Bible says, ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And I'm reminded of the story where the angels come down to a bunch of men on the side of the Judean hillside. And these angels said to these disciples, why do you sit around here gazing in the sky? This same Jesus that was taken up from among you will be the same Jesus that will appear in like manner. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest days are ahead for you. I don't I'm not prophesying a house to you. I'm not going to prophesy a car to you. I'm not going to prophesy a new spouse to you. I'm not come on somebody. I'm not going to do any of that. But I am telling you the greatest days are ahead. And how do I know that? Because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16, for the angel of the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall be raised up and we will meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm telling you, Christmas teaches us that if he came the first time and he was true to the promise, he shall come again a second time. Hallelujah! He will come again. So as we wait, let us be reminded of these stories. Listen, church, the Christmas stories and the stories that surround the Christmas story are ancient Oh, the book that I hold in my hand is ancient. Did you hear me? It's ancient. The book that I hold in my hand contains the stories revealed to us by God. And as we look at the Christmas story and the stories that surround the Christmas story, let us be reminded that I am telling you a true story. I'm telling you a narrative that really did happen. It is not a figure. Of imagination. It's not a pipe dream. It's not something somebody who hallucinated and wrote on a scroll and passed it to generation to generation. It actually happened. It is a narrative of God's truth. It is a narrative of God's plan for humanity. It is God's word. And when we look at the Bible, I want you to be reminded it's not a fairy tale. It's not been made up. The Holy Spirit spoke to the prophets of old. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy, the Holy Spirit came upon them and breathed upon them. And what they wrote was from God. So I'm not telling you a fairy tale. I am telling you what is true. I am telling you what is inerrant and indispensable. The Bible that I hold in my hand this morning is the Word of God. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of 16 centuries this book that i hold in my, my hand is one book that contains one story it bears the witness that there is only but one god and it can tell it tells a continual story of redemption and covenant it tells the story of a man by the name of Jesus the only begotten son of god revealed to humanity the book that i hold in my hand people have have mocked it and they have spoken against it. As a matter of fact, enemies of the Bible have tried to even burn the Bible. There are those who have tried to silence its message. There are those down through the centuries have tried to do away with truth and do away with the Bible. But I want you to be reminded, church, that the Bible that I hold in my hand is the word of the living God. Centuries will follow centuries, but the Bible will still stand. Emperors will fall and emperors will be raised, but the Bible will still stand. Dynasties will succeed dynasties and the Bible will still stand. Kings are crowned and uncrowned, but the Bible will still stand. It has been despised and torn to pieces, but it still stands. Storms of hate have surrounded against the Bible, but it still stands. Atheists have spoken against it, but it still stands. Flames have tried to kindle around about it, but it still stands. Hallelujah. The Bible is the word of God. It is the mind of God. It is the state of mankind. The Bible that I hold in my hand is the way of salvation. It is the doom of sinners, and it is the happiness of all believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, and the histories are true, and every decision is right. You've got to read it to be wise, believe it to be safe practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you. It contains food to support you. It contains comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the pilot's compass. It is the soldier's sword. It is the Christian's food. Here, ladies and gentlemen, paradise is restored and heaven is opened up and the gates of hell is disclosed. It is the B-I-B-L-E. It is the infallible, indispensable inerrant word of the living God can somebody say amen this morning can somebody say hallelujah this morning it is the word of the living God oh hallelujah I said it is the word of the living God has the potential to change your life I don't understand how Christians can go weeks without opening the Bible and always come into the front warning a prophetic word. Open the Bible up and God will speak to you. If you would open the Bible as much as you open the apps on your phone, you would probably be delivered by now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor that was free. I'm not here to tell you anything new. The stories are ancient, but it's true. I'm not here to give you some revelation. There is no new revelation. There is only one revelation. It's not the book of revelations, it's the book of revelation. It's not Walmart's, it's Walmart. Y'all with me this morning? There is one revelation and many illuminations of the one revelation. So if you come to me and say, Pastor, I got a new revelation. There's only one revelation. The revelation of truth revealed in Holy Scripture. God has already revealed himself. The stories are ancient, but the stories are true. And I believe that sometimes we miss the Christmas story. You know why we miss it? We miss the Christmas story because we rush into Christmas. Buy, sell, get this, get that, go to this cell. We're rushing, rushing, rushing. Society puts pressure on us to celebrate it really quick. We miss the meaning of Christmas as Christians. But that's why Advent tells us to slow down and wait. Reminisce the story. Think about the purpose of why he came. Don't rush into it. Think about it. And no matter how many times you've heard the story of Christmas, you can never exhaust the word of God. There's always truth. There's always illumination of that truth that can be revealed to you. My challenge to you is not only today and the coming Sundays in, uh, in Advent as we prepare ourselves for Christmas Day. I want you to open your heart up and I challenge you to listen to me every week And I want you to talk about it as a family. Every week, I want you to reminisce the story. I want you to talk to your spouse and your children. What did the sermon mean to you? How does it apply to your life? What do you need to change? I challenge you, let's just not hear a sermon, but let's reminisce about it. Let's think about it. Let's meditate upon it. And let's use it as a perfecting tool in your life so that you can look like Jesus. Now, I know that sometimes... Because we have heard the story so many times, it becomes so familiar. So what I have done and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to keep it a little interesting or fun for you, all right? And so that is why I have chosen the title Christmas at the Movies, because I want to keep your interest. I want to make it a little fun for you. Now, that does not mean that I'm not being spiritual, because some of you think, well, pastor's not being spiritual. How dare him say Christmas at the Movies? Well, let me just remind you, put your thinking cap on. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Often in the scriptures, Jesus used what, he, what we call as parables. He used parables to teach a lesson to his people. Am I right? He would talk about farming, or he would talk about weddings, or he would talk about planting seed, or he would talk about certain things that people were familiar with. He would use something they were familiar with, and guess what he would do? He would lay aside alongside of it, truth, so that they could understand. And that's what I'm doing. I am using something that you're familiar with in the year 2019. And what I want to do is lay a, right beside of it, I want to put truth. I want I to want, I bring truth out of it so that you can comprehend it. You can be illuminated by the Spirit so you can understand the truth that's being conveyed to you. Just like Jesus. Jesus used something familiar And then he would bring out a spiritual principle out of something that was familiar. And that's what I want to do. I want to use something that you're familiar with and bring out a spiritual principle so that you can learn the significance of Advent and also Christmas. Amen. So for the next three Sundays. That's what we're going to do. So look at a Christmas movie. This morning I have chose the Christmas movie called uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How many has ever seen the movie How the Grinch Has Stole Christmas? Raise your hand. How the Grinch Has Stole Christmas. Do you know Dr. Seuss is a wonderful man? He wrote hundreds of children's books. And I'm sure that you're familiar with many of those books. And I'm sure as a parent you probably have read some of those Uh, books to your children. Some of those are very, very classic books. And one of the books that he wrote was in 1966, or excuse me, 1957. He wrote a book called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It was published in the Red Book magazine. And not only was it published in that particular magazine, but years later, because it was so popular, uh, they turned it into a cartoon in 1966. And from there, from 1966, another cartoon was made of it. There's an original cartoon in 1966, but there was other cartoons made. There was a movie made a couple years ago. I think Jim Carrey uh, was uh, featured in in uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and so it's, it's very popular. Our children know about it, and I believe that this movie really does hold a lot of truth. I mean, I mean the, the movie and the cartoon and the book was so popular that in 2000 and number, 2007, in the National Education Association, it was named one of the top books that teachers use in the public school system for story time. And so it's 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 really has a lot of spiritual truth to it. And so I just want to take a few moments and I want you to see how the Grinch stole Christmas or almost stole Christmas. And who is the Grinch in the New Testament? Who is the Grinch that almost stole Christmas? And I want you to see it just for a few moments. I believe that if you do a survey of the New Testament and try to find out who the Grinch is, I believe it's King Herod. King Herod is probably the ultimate Grinch in the Christmas story. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I believe you that King Herod is probably the Grinch that tried to steal Christmas. There is a clip about the Grinch and how the Grinch is just miserable. Have you ever met somebody that's just miserable with life and miserable about everything? Well, this is the Grinch that tried to steal Christmas. or oh, he did steal Christmas and tried to steal it. And I want you to see the problem with the Grinch And when I when I, of course, I've watched the movie before several times, but I think this conveys spiritual truth here. How the Grinch stole Christmas. His heart was really small. It was really a heart problem, wasn't it? The Grinch had a heart problem. I want to look at a modern day Grinch in the scriptures. I want to look at King Herod just for a few moments. I don't want to bring out five attributes of this Grinch, five attributes. If you're taking notes, I want you to take it very quickly. There's five attributes or excuse me, four attributes concerning this Grinch. Number one. King Herod is the Grinch in the New Testament concerning the Christmas story. And number one, he was a disturbed man. This Grinch was a disturbed man. King Herod was a disturbed man. Now, I want you to get this. Look at the scriptures. The scripture will be behind me. Matthew chapter number 2 and verse number 1. Now, listen to what the Bible says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled or disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was with him. Now, depending on your translation, it's either called troubled or disturbed, but you get the point. This man was disturbed. This man was a troubled man. The Grinch in the New Testament, I believe, is King Herod in the Christmas story. There are a few attributes I want you to see of this Grinch. Number one, he was disturbed. He was troubled. The Bible says in verse number three, when the king, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was with him. Now, I never really paid attention to that scripture until the other day. The Bible says not only was he troubled, but the whole city was troubled. Now, have you ever heard of the phrase, if mama ain't happy, well, this takes on a whole new meaning. When the king is not happy, nobody is happy. The king Herod was not happy. Now listen, why was Israel troubled? Why was, why was Jerusalem troubled over this? I mean, it's one thing for King Herod to be disturbed and troubled, but why is Jerusalem troubled with him? Well, if you know anything about King Herod, King Herod was a brilliant man, but not only was he a brilliant man, he was a troubled man, he was a disturbed man. King Herod was appointed by Rome to serve as the king of the Jews. It's really a title that he gave himself. He was appointed by Rome to serve in in Judea, but he also gave gave himself the title king of the Jews. Uh, He he reigned over 40 years, and during his reign in 40 years, he did accomplish a lot of things. He built a lot of great buildings uh, in Jerusalem. But not only did they, he he also rebuilt the temple. That was very significant. But he was very disturbed. He was a very insecure man, a very jealous man. And he was always afraid that somebody was going to take the power from him. He was very insecure and very jealous, very manipulative, very domineering. To the point that King Herod killed 70 members of the Sanhedrin council, the Jewish council. He killed 70 members of the Jewish council. Number two, he killed his two sons. Now, what father would kill his two sons? King Herod, because he's insecure. He's jealous. He killed two of his sons. Not only did he kill two of his sons, he killed his wife, his beloved wife. Not only did he kill his beloved wife, he killed his mother-in-law and his brother-in-law. He was a very vicious and troubled man. He was so insecure that somebody was going to take his throne, that somebody was going to take the place, that somebody else was going to be called king of the Jews And King Herod was going to make sure that that never happened. And do you know why all of Jerusalem was troubled? Look at the scripture again, verse number three. Not only was King Herod troubled, but all of Jerusalem. And why was Jerusalem troubled? Because they knew that King Herod, when he got mad, when he got insecure, when he got jealous, he did things that was vicious. And they were very fearful. They were very fearful. Did you know that when King Herod was dying, he called one of his wives in, called some of his family members in, and he said, I want you to take the heads of some families in this Judean council, and I want you to kill them all when I die, because I want to make sure that people are mourning my death when I die. I mean, this man was vicious. This man was troubled. This man was disturbed. And no wonder Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Why was he disturbed? Was he disturbed because there was a star in the east? Was he disturbed because wise men came from afar? What was he disturbed over? This is why he was disturbed. Pay attention to what the Bible says. This is what the wise men said in verse number 2 of chapter 2 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2 verse 2. This is the wise men. They said to King Herod, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and we have come to worship him. Why is King Herod disturbed? He is disturbed because the wise men said there is a king being born and he's the king of the Jews. King Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. No wonder he's disturbed. No wonder he's disturbed and upset because he was threatened that somebody was going to take his throne That somebody was going to take his place. Ladies and gentlemen, as I look at this, I'm reminded of the Grinch. reminded of the Grinch. You see, the Grinch, he was a disturbed man too. He lived on top of Mount uh, Crumpet for many, many years. And you know, if you watch the story of the Grinch, he lived on the mountain and he would listen to Whoville. In their celebration, they would dance and sing and celebrate Christmas. And he was so disturbed that he couldn't stand to hear their celebrations. He couldn't stand to hear their music and their celebration of Christmas. He was so disturbed that he got his little dog, Max, and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to mess up their Christmas. Can't stand all this celebration. If If I'm going to be miserable, they're going to be miserable too. That's kind of like King Herod. If I'm going to be miserable, everybody else is going to be miserable too. You know what? The Grinch did. The Grinch went at night and stole all their trees and stole their gifts. Stole the food. Stole it all during the night. He was thinking to himself, I'm going to steal their Christmas. And I bet in the morning they're not going to get up and celebrate. Whoville is going to be very quiet in the morning. You see, that's King Herod. King Herod thought, if I could just get a hold of the baby, I could cut all this celebration out. I don't know why these wise men are traveling from afar. I don't know what kind of star they're seeing in the east. I'm going to cut it all out. I'm going to cut this celebration out. If anybody's going to be celebrated, it's going to be me because I am the king of the Jews. There was a professor who got up in Harvard many years ago, and he said, and I quote, I don't understand why people make a big deal about Christmas. What's the big deal about all these Christians celebrating Christmas? He said to his class, I have finally worked it out why people like Christmas. I fin- he told his class, I finally figured out why people love Christmas. He said this a baby threatens no one. So the whole thing is just a happy event, which means nothing at all. You see, my friends, that's what the world thinks. The world just thinks Christmas is about a little baby in a nativity with a little sweet mother rocking the baby and a little older man by the name of Joseph and some Christians who are delusional who attends church and worships this baby. But it's more than that. It's more than just a baby in a crib. It's more than wise men. It's it's, it's, it's more than angels singing on the Judean hillside. Christmas is more than that. You know what Christmas is? Christmas is the greatest story ever told. Do you know what happened at Christmas? You know what happened at Christmas? God came near to humanity. That is why the angel said, You will call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. Do you know what Christmas is? Christmas is this. God is saying to humanity, I still believe in you. I still believe in you. Do you know what happened at Christmas? The God of the universe became one of us. He wrapped himself in flesh and was born of a woman. The mystery of Christmas How a man could be God and human at the same time. How is it possible that a little baby could be divine and human at the same time? What is that? How can that happen? I mean, theologians have tried to explain it. Some kind of hypostatic union. But I don't know how to explain it. All I know is that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was... I'm telling you, it's just not a man. He is God in human flesh. As a man, he can get sleepy in a boat, but as God, he can calm the winds and the waves. As man, he can get hungry, but as God, he can multiply the loaf and the fish. As man, he can weep at the tomb of Lazarus, but as God, he can raise Lazarus from the dead. As man, he can die on the cross, but as God, he can resurrect himself from the grave on the third day, singing, There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. He is God and man wrapped up In human flesh, somebody should wave your hand and thank God for the mystery of Christmas. Hallelujah. My Lord, sometimes I get so excited, I just want to dance a little bit. Is that all right? I said, Is that all right once in a while? Hallelujah. God became one of us. One of us. God became one of us. How is that possible? How is that possible? that God would become one of us, but that's what happened. That's the mystery of Christmas. You remember what the Bible says in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-one? The angel said, "You shall speaking to Mary, you shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." That's what Christmas is about. He saves us from our sins. Amen. Hallelujah. In the Garden of Eden. God walked with us. In the Ark of Noah, God protected us. In the Temple of Solomon, God sanctified us. In the Lion's Den, God would intervene for us. In the fiery furnace, God would stand with us. In the preaching of the prophets, God sought to redeem us, to restore us, to revive us, to bring us near. But in the Christmas story, God became one of us. He still believes in us. He became one of us. He became a man. One of us. You see, not only was he a disturbed man. Number two, he was, a, he, was a, he was a deceptive man. Deceptive. Kind of like Grinch in that the story of how Grinch stole Christmas. He was very deceptive. How was Grinch very deceptive? Well, he came at night. You remember uh, listening to the story or, or, or watching the story how Grinch came at night? He didn't come during the day. He got his little dog, Max, and got his big sled, and he came at night. He was very deceptive about it. Then he went from house to house to house to house and stole all the trees and stole all the gifts and stole all the food because he was deceptive about it. He was for sure that him being deceptive was a trickery to trick Whoville into stealing the Christmas. Oh, King Herod is deceptive. How is King Herod deceptive? Well, the Bible says, look look at verse number 16. The Bible, excuse me, verse number 8. He was very deceptive. Look how deceptive King Herod was. He said to the wise men, he said, I want you to go search carefully for the young child, and when you find him, bring back word that I may come and worship him too. Let me ask you a question, church. Is King Herod being deceptive? Did he want to worship the child? Did he want to fall down at the feet and worship this baby? Of course not. He was being deceptive. He was trying to trick the wise men to give him more information about where this child is so that he can annihilate Christmas. He was being very deceptive about it. He didn't want to worship this child. And isn't it amazing? Now, this is not a part of my sermon. I'm just going to slip it in there real quick. Isn't it amazing that God warned the wise men? God warned the wise men and said, listen, don't go back to Herod, but I want you to go another way. Can you say amen? The Bible says in verse number 12, Matthew chapter 2 verse number 12, and being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, for they departed to a country another way. You see that in verse number 12. They departed another way. They went another way. So the wise men never went back to King Herod. They went another way. Now this is free. I just want to throw this out at you. Isn't this interesting? The wise men came to the house. They worshiped the Christ child. And then the Bible says in verse 12, the Lord warned them to go a different way. Because that's what worship will do in your life. When you begin to worship God, it will cause you to go a different way. It will cause your steps to be redirected. Is there any worshipers in the building today that needs the Holy Spirit to direct your steps in another way? Because, oh hallelujah. When you begin to worship, it redirects your steps to go another way. He was not only disturbed, but King Herod was deceptive. He didn't want to worship. This Grinch was disturbed. This Grinch was deceptive. Number three, this Grinch was deadly. You know why I know he was deadly? Because the Bible says after King Herod left, or excuse me, the wise men left, the Bible says, verse number 16, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, King Herod became very upset. The Bible says then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, He became very angry and he sent forth to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all the districts two years and under. He said, I want you to put them to death. Now, we know, according to Josephus, that Bethlehem was probably a very small town, maybe 300 people in the town. And really, the children that died that day was probably around 10 to 20 children, male children. So it wasn't a lot, but in a small town, that is a lot. And no matter if it's a lot or not a lot, it's still someone's baby. And so he killed about t- 10 to 12 children that day because he was so jealous, he was so insecure. He felt deceived by the wise men. He was deadly. And let me tell you something, the church is tr- still trying to kill Jesus. The t- excuse me, the world is still trying to kill Jesus. They're still trying to get rid of Jesus. They're tr- trying to still snuff Jesus out of our society. And even in our churches, even today, There's that grinched spirit that wants to be deadly and do away with Jesus. Number four, he was deceased. Uh, King Herod died, didn't he? That's one of the attributes of King Herod, he died. Verse number 19, "Now now Herod was dead, and the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Herod died. Whatever you sow is what you reap. He died a jealous man. He died uh, he died an insecure man. Now in the Grinch story, the Grinch never died. He had to change of heart. Remember the, the video I just showed you? His heart was too small, but at the end of the Grinch story, his heart grew about two or three times bigger. So in the Grinch story, the Grinch had a conversion. He changed. His heart grew. He understood something that christmas is not about the gifts because whoville still sung and danced and celebrated when they woke up the next morning and even when they found out their presents were gone whoville still celebrated and the grinch understood something that it's it's not about all of that he had a heart change and in the grinch in matthew chapter 2 king herod never had a heart change he died a lonely jealous insecure man Because you know what Christmas is about. Christmas is about conversion. Christmas is about a heart change. It's about perspective. Your perspective is either your passport or your prison. How do you view it? He died. And and what about you, ladies, in closing? What about you? Is there a Grinch that needs to die in your life? Is there something in your life that needs to be deceased? Deceased? Do you need to die? Is there something in your life that needs to die? All of us, I'm convinced, has a Grinch in us. All of us wrestle with the Grinch. And you have to choose to let that Grinch die. You see, you know what's interesting? The scandal of Christmas is not just about a virgin birth. But it's about God's redemptive work that defiles the Herods of the world. Your kingdom may not be as massive as King Herod. It may not be as big as King Herod. But we have a tendency to protect what belongs to us. I think sometimes in each of us, there's a Grinch, there's a King Herod on the inside of us, that if somebody tries to overstep or take our place or to take the spotlight, Sometimes that Grinch can rise up. We have a spirit of entitlement. I'm the king of the Jews. I think we all wrestle with Grinch. If we're honest, there is a Herod. There is a Grinch in all of us. And you know what's so absurd about this story? Is that Herod desperately tried to hold on to a kingdom that wasn't even his. He tried to hold on to something that wasn't his. The Bible says in Isaiah 9 verse 6, the prophecy concerning the child, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Not King Herod. King Herod forgot to read that part of Scripture. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, remember Simon in the scriptures as he was waiting, he picked up the child. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34, he picked up the child and he said these words that I want it to penetrate your heart today. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 34. I want you to see these words. When Simon picked up the child, Simon blessed him and said to mother his Mary, Behold, this child is destined, destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for us and for a son which shall be spoken against. In other words, Simon, who was waiting for the Christ child, or waiting for the consolation of Israel, said, This child is going to be the cause of why some people fall and some people are risen up. And I believe that that's, the true picture of the church today. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring a peace. Jesus said, I come to bring a sword. For mother shall be against child. Father shall be against child. Husbands shall be against wives. Wives shall be my message shall bring division. Even in your own house. Husbands, you might have to serve God without your wife. Wives, you might have to serve God without your husband. Marriage is not an eternal, celestial thing. We're not Mormons. Salvation is an individual thing. Just because you're saved doesn't mean your spouse is saved. You might have to serve God without Him. You might have to serve God without your children. Because His message brings division. This child is going to be the cause of why some are fallen. This child is going to be the reason why some are promoted. And it happened to Herod. My question is, in the Grinch story, what does it really matter if the Who celebrated Christmas? I mean, you ever thought about it? The Grinch is on top of the mountain. What did it matter? If they celebrated Christmas. You had your own cave to live in. They were so far from you. Why are you making a big deal about it, Grinch? The noise was in their homes. They ate in their homes. They celebrated. They didn't make that much noise that you heard them. You could have went in your cave with your little dog and shut the door. Why did you make such a big deal about it? Because Grinch... Because the Grinch is jealous. And jealous. The Bible says jealousy is crueler than the grave. And sometimes when we're not happy, bless God, we don't want no one else to be happy or have fun either. We want to shut down shop if we're not happy. If somebody does us wrong, we want everybody to get on our side and agree with us. And we want to develop an army against the person that's... We, we want to take sides. We, 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 we don't want people to celebrate if we're not happy. Grinch's, the Grinch's plan to steal Christmas was really all about insecurity and jealousy. And that's what happened to Herod in Matthew chapter 2. Five attributes that you learned is that he was disturbed. Not only was he disturbed, he was deceptive. He was deadly... He was deceased. He is the Grinch of the New Testament.